welcome to the Inclusive Leader Podcast. The practice of inclusive leadership enables us to tackle the complex challenges of our times. This is the space for conversations about inclusive leadership. I am your host, Jörg Schmitz, and I welcome you to this episode. In this episode, I'm speaking with Nancy French Gerlach. Nancy is the CFO of a tech startup called Here Now Help and a great mother, professional and entrepreneur, as you will discover in this conversation. We got to know each other from a project that entailed developing inclusive leaders for a very large global consulting firm. In her new role at Here Now Help, she has put DEI and the practices of inclusive leadership central to developing her small and high-performing team, but also a team that drives growth of what we come to call the inclusiveness app. Please enjoy this important conversation. Nancy, it's great to talk to you. And of course, I always start with this question, what do you do? And um, and yeah, how do you answer that question, actually? There's a big, a, a, a traditional answer and then a, a, a little different answer. Uh, my current role right now is I'm chief financial officer and a co-founder of a startup software company by the name of Here Now Help. Because we're a startup, we've been in business for three years. Um, what I do is a lot of different things because in any startup, we all wear multiple hats. We're a pretty small team sure. in terms on, of who's on the payroll. Um, so we're all required to step in and, and do all sorts of things. And fortunately, um, because of my career, I had a pretty broad career in a number of different places. And so it's been fortunate that I can bring a lot of different things, not just the financial uh, aspect of, of my experience to it. So um, it's been um, a very exciting three years, let me put it this way. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, your your career has taken you, taken you through all kinds of organizations and pursuits, right? It really has. I, I started, as you may know, um, I started in industry, um, even though I had an accounting background. I worked for, at the time, the company was one of the top consumer companies in the world, a Fortune 50, and one of the global brands, and had a great experience there. And then I took the leap to one of the big four accounting firms, and um, there I had roles in marketing and finance and all uh, the operations uh, for the firm. And um, again, another exciting career. And along the way, both in industry and at the firm, I did a lot around uh, leadership development. And um, actually did some uh, outside consulting around leadership development. And then that's where I had the wonderful opportunity to meet you and others and um, did the work for DNI um, and leadership, building inclusive leadership. So yeah. um, I think all those experiences have really come into play in, the, in these last three years in, in a way that maybe I uh, didn't appreciate when I started this endeavor. Yeah, now you need to talk a little bit about here now help, I guess, as a as a as as a major focus, right? Because yeah. it's interesting, like you said, we we met, I mean, in, in the context of leadership development and yeah. and and you know in the idea of developing leaders that lead inclusively, right? And that understand how to lead in a diverse um environment with with all kinds of needs and 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 people from different backgrounds and 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 so forth. And I know that 
you know, what you're focused on now is actually really related to that question, right? It just takes it to a very deeper, much deeper level. It does on, on so, in so many levels. So maybe I'll, I'll tell you a little bit about how we got started. Um, in my family, I had I have two sons that were um, addicted to opioids and we discovered it back in 2018, my husband and I. And obviously we worked very hard to try and get them help and help them on to a road of recovery. And so my older son, Bill, uh, while he was in recovery, had this idea. I, I, let me back up. One of his biggest frustrations was while he was going through uh, his several years of being addicted to opioids after having been put on oxycodone by a physician who never helped him with the weaning process, um, he found it very, very hard to find help when and where he needed it. Yeah. You know, it wasn't, you know, needing an appointment with a therapist a week from, you know, today. He needed it at three o'clock in the morning when he felt like he needed to use. Yes. And so he had this idea while in recovery of creating a software app that would be similar to Uber, which would help people get help whenever, wherever they needed it and in person if possible. And part of that experience came from his experience going to NA, which is very similar to AA. And uh, what he saw there and what he found there were people who had walked in his shoes, who understood him. And it was the peer-to-peer counseling that really resonated with him. Yes. And um, so this was his vision of creating this app that was primarily peer-to-peer base, um, but got people connected any, you know, 24-7, 365. That's the vision. So uh, we started on this journey with mainly family and friends back in late 2018 and kept developing it through 2019. And then we became a corporation on August 20th. And by that time, we met along the way two incredible people who have been part of our team since the beginning. And it was just through serendipity, you know, how the universe pulls the right sure, resources yes. together for you in it. They sure did. That summer of 2019, we were at a, a gathering of, of young people uh, at a, a birth or going away party. And I met one of the fellows and I asked him, I said, so what do you do, Brian? And he said, oh, well, I help start up tech companies get going. <laughs> and I said, we need to talk. <laughs> and then he brought along our, uh, he, uh, Brian is now our chief operating officer and has been from the beginning. And our chief technical officer was a buddy of his that had worked with him on another uh, in another software company. So right from the get-go, we had this wonderful group of people with this diverse set of skills and experiences that were just what we needed. I had the financial background. My son had the marketing and sales background, and I had a bit of marketing. 
Brian had this operational experience and, and Lester, our CTO, had, had this wonderful technical development background. So it was just really boom. Just sure, you boom. had it all covered, right? I mean, yes. So, yes, and then we had other people involved. My brother-in-law was helping. We had people who um, were in the educational development experience. Uh, another person ha- is uh, a psychologist. Um, so again, just this right. wonderful breadth of experiences. The other thing that came together by happenstance, not des- design, but we have a tremendous amount of diversity on our team in terms of how you look at it with traditional measures. An African-American, a person who was born in the Philippines, uh, an Asian-American now, uh, a woman, uh, <laughs> We have all generate three different generations. So just this wonderfully rich, diverse team that started. And then that started and we became official in August. And six days later, my younger son died of an overdose. So you ask, you know, you asked me in the past why I do this. This has become a passion project. And as you know, you know, that happened right at the time. I was still working with you and our, our team at at, uh, at the other company. And it was good for me to stay engaged while we were doing this initial building and kind of reinforcing some of the things I know and love as I was able to then apply it to our company. Yes. So anyways, fast forward, it's been a real passion project, but project's not the word because it gives you the idea that it's a short-term thing. This is, you know, we're all in it for the long haul to see where it's going to lead. And some of the things that we learned along the way is obviously as we've we've built our platform, uh, we had to very much, these are some of the traditional things you'll learn. We've had to really listen to the marketplace, listen to our clients and find out what they really, really need versus what we thought they might need. And so our business model over the three years has changed quite a bit. Um, our initial idea is still our vision, which is to provide an open network of capability to anybody who wants to get health that they use our app to get help and get connected to peer counselors or therapists or psychiatrists anytime they need it. Mm. But what we found we had to do is that we really needed to focus on something we call more of a closed network approach. And what we mean by that is we work with a rehab center that has its own group of resources, counseling resources, and its own group of patients or clients. And so we will work, we will uh, provide the app and our system of apps, because there's several of them, phone-based apps, um, to the rehab center, for instance. They'll deploy it to their patients and staff, and then the patients and staff use it within their own group and it's oh, uh, access code protected, if you will. So only that group has access to their version of the app. And it's very customizable and it provides all sorts of tools available um, to help in the recovery process. But the original vision is still the same, to connect people to the resources they need when they need it. Correct. And that we are moving in that direction. As a matter of fact, my son's working in New York City with a group of NGOs that are going to pilot this idea within New York City. 
to make it more broadly available huh. uh, to residents within the New York City area. We call it extended network in that they will provide the resources, the, the counseling resources. As a matter of fact, they're looking for something like this because they have a lot of trained peer counselors, but they don't have a good way of deploying them. Wow. And so they're going to use our app to deploy them to people within the community. Yeah. So that, that, that piece hopefully will be in place uh, within the next few months. And we're excited about that. So it's the, the learning then that you for a solution like this, you really need it to be geographically bound within a certain infrastructure. Yes, in this moment, that's true. And geographically bound um, it for the extended network is true. For closed network, not so much. One of our um, largest clients is a healthcare system focused on behavioral health. And they have a system of hospitals and veteran centers and recovery centers across the United States and Puerto Rico. And so it can be diverse, very uh, geographically diverse within a, within a system, if you will. Yeah, very cool. <laughs> lots, yeah, lots of different uh, uh, things going, lots of different ways of deploying our one of our most exciting things that's about ready to happen is we're working, uh, we'll be working very shortly with uh, Veterans Administration Hospitals uh, that yes. we're working on, on getting that uh, moving. So, yes. and this sort of then speaks to some of the practicalities of our team. We have a very, as I said, small but diverse team. And there are a couple of things that we've noticed. So we were all, we have four leaders on the team, if you will, uh, co-founders that are the comprise our leadership team. And our leadership team, we were talking, and um, many of your listeners might know uh, the Myers Briggs Type Indicator. And we yes. just and we all discovered we have the same MBTI index, if you will. That uh, we're all ENTPs, and we kind of laughed about it. Because we found that a couple of us particularly need to stretch to dealing with details. Because when you're in a startup and you're small, it so it, but it also made us realize that we really need to be thinking about how we make decisions, how we interact with each other, and are we fully inclusive? So while we might be actually very inclusive from the traditional metrics, in some ways, our management style is not that diverse and we need to be inclusive. So for us, this is all about making sure not only do you have some, maybe some of the, the traditional metrics paid attention to, and we have an issue there that I'll talk about in a minute, but it's as important to think about how people work together and whether you have similar styles or diverse set of styles that really help you think about uh, how you're making decisions and interacting with clients and how you're communicating. And you and I have talked about this, but one of my favorite tools is uh, the cultural navigator tool that this brilliant man I know by the name of Bjork Smith uh, <laughs> created. And we used it very well in, in the, with one of our clients. And what I liked so much about that tool is it goes into a lot of the dynamics that play when you're working with a team and goes beyond personality 
and really how people like to get work done. And obviously brings into account globally how people might have tendencies to work in a different way. For instance, one of our our leaders is an Asian American and some of his style is very different from my style in terms of how we communicate. Once I'm more direct, he's less direct. And I need to be aware of that in terms of how I frame things and how we talk about things or understanding when he frames things in a certain way, not to get frustrated about it, but just, okay, I get where he's coming from. And that has helped tremendously. Yeah. So for me, one of the insights that I've had is really understanding who's on your team and how we like to all work together. And then being willing to flex when you know you've got some gaps. Absolutely. And making a conscious decision about who's going to do the flexing to to fill in those gaps. And there were some natural reasons why a couple of us dig into the details more, for instance. (laughs) Yeah. So that that's probably one of the things um, that's been a real insight and real practical thing for us to focus on. The other thing that's a really practical issue for us, and we're still struggling with this, Um, There are a couple of women on our team, which is great. But as we build out our technical capabilities and our technical team, I keep challenging our team to make sure that we're looking at women on the team. And it's a little harder because, uh, I mean, a known issue is, is that there aren't as many women in STEM type careers as we would like. That's right. And so when we're looking and interviewing people, um, we aren't getting a lot of female candidates. And we are small and we have to hire the best candidate. Sure. So we are always, I am challenging the team, hey, let's consider female candidates, for instance. And so far we haven't hired one, but we haven't hired a lot of men either. So it's so small. (laughs) But as we grow, I'm going to continue to press the team to make sure we're consciously at least being aware of that and hiring the best candidates. Because I know there are some really great, competent women out there. We just need to find them. They're not always readily apparent, if you will. So that's just an example of pressing the team to make sure we are diverse. It's great. I mean, and in fact, what I, what strikes me is, you know, I mean, we've obviously done this work together with large organizations, and a lot of organizations have run these DE&I projects and programs. But when you're in a small enterprise, the issue is the same. Yes. In fact, I think sometimes, especially with a startup, the issue is even more pressing. And you, there is yes. no, you know, you don't have a formal DE&I program. So you need to be your own DEI officer in a sense. And that's what I'm hearing you say that you're bringing that mindset and that consciousness purposefully to a small team because you have, I mean, limited resources, obviously, and you you really don't have an option, but you need to be high performing. Yeah, you're absolutely, you have no choice but to be. And you brought up a thought that I had that that you triggered a thought for me is you're right. When you're dealing with a big organization, it's pretty easy to make sure you also reflect your client base. Right. Because you have to be attuned to what your clients' needs are and speak their language. And an example of where we made a conscious decision to look for somebody that we needed on our team um, 
We are focused on veterans support is one of our segments. And we have a veteran on our team, I'm proud to say. And he has helped us. And we also have, um, we're very blessed in that um, in addition to our core team, we have others who support us pretty much on a volunteer basis. And we have another veteran who has been an advisor to us and has helped us. So it is important to make sure that your team is representative and can help provide a perspective for your clients that mirror how your clients are made up. And, and, and that that's really important for us. And yes. it's really hard to do when you're tiny, but you know, you, you can do it. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I think you can. And this is what I love about this, this you know, this example or your, your example of applying inclusive leadership principles to a small environment, to a small team where nobody is telling you to do it, right? but where actually you have because you 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 want to grow, you want to grow your impact. You you know the reason for doing it is actually even more important. Yep, I agree. And I just want to you know because because you led <laughs> led there. I mean, in, into the the context of diversity and how to do it. I mean, I also love that you know beyond personality, there are is work style, right? Yep. And this example of your with your Asian American you know colleague the directness and the indirectness, right? That's that's a scale in the COI that you mentioned, absolutely. Yep. And it's not personality-driven, no. right? It also has nothing to do with what, what we look like or where our origins are. It's a purely, truly, you know, cultural context, you know, style that we are developing and that can collide in the workplace significantly. Yes, it can. The other thing is, is even if people, I'm a big fan of of doing assessments uh, more formally, but even when you don't, if you at least are aware of some of those dynamics and can check in with people and ask questions about how they like to work, I mean, that is such a fundamentally easy thing to do, right? And yet that's hardly ever asked. How do you like to talk? to operate? How do you like to see your data and information? How do you, you know, all those little nuances and it's so easy to ask the question and it only, it doesn't take hours to do. It's just a conversation. No, that's right. So that's important. I think the other thing I, I will say too, that diversity is such a, in some ways, a simple thing, but very complex concept too, in that it plays at so many different levels. And yes, it plays at the diversity of styles and diversity of experiences. At the same time, I don't think that lets anybody off the hook not to do some of the more traditional diversity of gender and and, and culture and whatnot, because sometimes you don't get the diversity of perspective and experiences without the other pieces. So it really is multidimensional. And I'm grateful and that our team has it on so many different levels. And I just yeah. I just continue to press the team to make sure we keep it that way. Because I I just love our team. Let me just say that. I just love it. We are just, it's, just a, it's just a wonderful group to work with. That's great. I mean, and, and you, especially in the startup, you need that because yep. you need that very strong bonding, right? In yep. To carry you into realizing a, oftentimes a really big ambition 
that you know is hard to realize and but you need that well bonded team and um with complementary skills yes and and yet at its core we have uh, a a core commitment to our vision because everybody on the team has suffered in some way in their families from addiction or mental health issues within their core family or friends. This is such a universal human condition. Yes, it is. And we have such direct experience with it at a very deep level. Um, One of the women on our team, her mother died from, was an addict and died. And another one has siblings who have been addicted or or have had severe mental issues. Yeah. So that has bonded us through a tight time. And I could say this can happen in big companies too. When you have that diversity and you respect and have that inclusive environment where everybody feels that they're valued and are able to contribute at their highest level, then when the proverbial whatever hits the fan, which it does, especially in a startup operation, we've been without money. People went without pay for two and about two months and they stuck with it. Who does that? (laughs) That's what I'm telling you. But we were, we, we trusted, we had built trust. We cared about each other and we were committed to our vision and people slogged it out until we got the funding we needed to keep going. Yes. So this concept of inclusion isn't just a fluffy, nice idea. It really can be a fundamental must-have to stay alive in your darkest days um, as a company, uh, in your toughest days as a company. And and we're going to have more challenges. We're about ready to explode with a few uh, implementation of some projects here coming up. And, you know, that's going to present, you know, we're going to go from famine to feast. And it's going to present its own challenges. Own and we challenges. just need That's to keep right. that cohesiveness because as we grow, we're going to need to have that challenge. Okay, as, as we go into a fast growth mode, how do we keep this tight-knit team? How do we keep as we grow with more people on board? So anyways, That's we're right. excited about the challenges, but gulp. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, I mean, and... But on all sides, but what, what impresses me also that you're in a sense, and I'm interpreting, of course, a little bit, but you you are really in the inclusiveness business yes. because even what your, your app, your solution provides is actually that sense of I'm part of a community, yes. a supportive community. I'm not, I'm not out there, out here spinning by myself. So your app is actually an inclusiveness app. On some levels, you just nailed it. And it, because that is part of the vision, it is to help people feel connected. Because that was another theme from my son's experience is when he was going through his darkest days, he felt so alone. And the whole concept of this is to help people feel connected and that they belong yeah. with, within a, a, a society. Yeah. And and you're absolutely right. I hadn't thought about it as an inclusiveness app, but it, it's at its core, that's what it's intended to yeah. be. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Ah, didn't think about it that way. 
<laughs> well, I mean, I mean, sometimes there's this whole idea. That's what makes it so seemingly fluffy sometimes, right? Yeah. Because we don't really recognize it sometimes when when it's actually needed and there. But you know, it, it's it's phenomenal. I mean, what your app does—that's what you focus on in your team. Mm-hmm. You know, it's a, there's a whole story just around that. I I, I think. Yeah. But I have to, you know, because this is so much about obviously wellness. And this is so important in so many organizations right now after COVID specifically. I, I'm I'm just wondering whether have you done it in organizations? I mean, in in just business organizations as well to keep people connected. Yes, we are just starting that in a number of organizations. So um the organizations, types of organizations we're starting. And the reason I say that is, is our first couple of years were built. We're focused on building the platform. So just from a tech development perspective, that was the primary primary focus. And um, so we work with some really early on, some great clients who are willing to take a, a, a chance on us to help. And they helped us co-develop some of the functionality. I mean, it was really organically grown with the help of some of our early clients. And now as we've gone, now we're we're just starting to move into deployment with some companies, school systems, as I said, veterans organizations, um, as well as rehabs and uh, behavioral health hospitals. Um, So it's pretty broad in terms of the different areas of focus that we have. So I will update you in a few months on how some of the company stuff is going because employee wellness is a is a whole focus for us. Yes, and it's becoming even more important. So organizations really need to think about how to also change the fabric of their the social fabric that that makes up the organization even as we are becoming more hybrid, right? I mean, um virtually, I mean, there is a whole way of how do we connect the emotional and psychological fabric of our of work, of what it means to be an organization besides the work part, right? That's a real, has been a challenge for us because we are completely remote. Uh, we have uh, one person in Wisconsin, another in so- South Carolina, we have New Hampshire, we have New York. Uh, we're, we're spread out. Oh, yeah, you're all over. Yeah, this. we are. There is no real office for us, physical office. So you you have brought up an important point because motivation comes from an emotional sense of being part of something. Yes. And so, you know, obviously Zoom and, and and Google Meet and all of these other tools have been tremendous in terms of keeping us seeing each other and talking to each other on a regular basis. That helps. But there isn't any substitute for one-on-one either at least on an occasional basis. And we do um we have had a few opportunities to do that over the last few years, not enough obviously, but then everything got weird for everybody because of COVID. Oh, yes, so, it was, yes. <laughs> yeah, but keeping that emotional connection is is really important. And companies using some of the tools that I think we offer can really help. Um, our, our app offers self-guided tools um, to help people with their mental health. It help, provides a platform, um, message boards and chat groups to connect with groups and communicate around specific issues if they choose, uh, 
we offer ways to set up meetings and appointments, and you can do it all within the app, even having the conversations via text or video. So it gives the a company the opportunity to send messages out at a broad basis. And the one thing is that we have multi-generations in our team. For some of us, like me, um, you know, who prefer <laughs> picking up the phone and talking, there are others that prefer you know, text and chat, you know, just a quick whatever. Um, and so being able to have an app that can meet multiple needs and multiple ways of communicating for the younger generation, as well as some of us that preferred some of the other ways of communicating um, helps too. So you have to think about diversity of the way people prefer to communicate these days. Making a decision too of when everybody needs to flex one way or another. And what I mean by that is you can't lead by texting. No. <laughs> Sometimes. And yet I find ourselves sometimes getting in a trap of a text chain when we ought to be talking things through. Yes. And there are other times where, you know, maybe people pick up the phone and it could have been a simple text or a way that would have been more efficient. So um, some of these diverse ways of approaching work and even the way we use technology are important for all companies to be thinking about yeah. what's the most efficient, um, what's the most effective for people and being able to flex around that. Yeah, we need to create inclusive norms. Exactly. That's a good way to put it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I mean they're just the the you know, sure we have we invent more and more ways of connecting with one another, right? So so we have more choices and options and yeah. Yep. Let me ask you just two 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 questions before we 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 close. One is in this journey, what has been the most surprising kind of insight for you that, that you know, you, you didn't anticipate before? Um, on a personal level, how much fun continuous learning is. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> because, and this is, I'll challenge people who are maybe uh, more seasoned, I'll put use that word, to be open to constantly learning from the younger generation. You know, when you and I were doing our work at the at, uh, with the firm, so often when we were in a, a class, you'd get people that were more of our generation saying, oh, well, those millennials or those blah, blah, blah. Oh, and yes. I have learned so much, both uh, technically. I, I've learned a whole new industry that I knew nothing about. You know, this wasn't where I was uh, in my career. And I've learned so much about technology. Um, but also AI and artificial intelligence and its and virtual reality and all these things. So technically, I've learned so much, but also I, I so much appreciate different generational approaches to things. I don't always agree with it or it's not always comfortable for me. But that has been, I just, I've just loved it. That part I've just <laughs> loved. I, I sometimes tease them because I'll say the whippersnappers on, you know, I'm the, I'm the, the geezer on the team. And, and um, I'm just really blessed to be working with people with great energy and intelligence and uh, a perspective that helps me grow. So that's been a little bit more surprising than I thought. 
<laughs> well, it's also, I mean, I remember those those attitudes, you know, very much that you describe, you know, yeah. especially around gender, uh, gen, no, gender too, but generations yeah. for sure, you know, the younger generation. Oh, for sure. It's it's so important to just d- d- take it, do a double take on these stereotypes that we hold. Absolutely. Not only that, but just checking your own stuff. Just stop, stop a minute and stop, you know putting everything within a, your old framework and just be open. I think being open, and, and we used to say this a lot when we were doing our consulting, it's stay open and curious. Yes. That's yeah. curiosity to me is one of the most important things to being a decent leader, um, being curious about other people and what they think and how they think. So is that, would that be, that was my last question actually to ask you, what, what from all this learning, what is something that Anybody can apply actually easily. Maybe it's that curiosity. It is. To me, stay curious. Ask people questions. Have conversations and listen. Be open. It's it's curiosity. With curiosity comes the requirement to stay open and non-judgmental. At least suspend your judgment for a little while. <laughs> Maybe you can assess later and say, you know, I still don't agree. That's okay. But 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 stay open and stay curious. Those are probably the easiest and yet the most overlooked skills of a of a leader in my mind. Yeah, it's true. What did you say? You were a group of ENTPs. Yes, we are. <laughs> that's the P talking. Yeah, right? <laughs> stay open. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> but it is so 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 true. Actually, as a it's great advice. Great advice. Thank you, Nancy, for sharing um, your story a little bit here. And um, I look forward to actually collaborating more, also bringing this platform and that capability into opportunities that we are working on. You know, Wonderful. so so this is this will be great. Thank you so much. Thanks. <laughs> Thank you for listening. You can sign up for more wherever you get your podcasts. Just look for the Inclusive Leader Podcast. To find out more about the Inclusive Leadership Institute, visit us at www.theinclusiveleadershipinstitute.com. Thank you.